0: Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. We are so thankful that you are here. I know that many of you, as you hear me right now, you are traveling uh, to different parts of the country uh, to go to be with those at Thanksgiving or maybe you're preparing for people to come to see you, uh, we're thankful that you're here with us. We do have a few men that are in the room, but uh, you know a lot of the men that are normally in here are traveling today, and we certainly understand that. But we did not want to miss a week because of the opportunity for so many people traveling that'll be looking for things to hear. Uh, that they can listen to the archive of this Bible study, or maybe you're you're watching this live right now as you get prepared to go somewhere, or get prepared to welcome uh, your your family. Whatever the case may be, we're we're glad that you are here. We are in a new study, uh, the book of Second uh, Corinthians, and today will be our, our second installment uh, in that series. If you're looking for past series, or that maybe even archive of last week, the first session. On 2 Corinthians, just go to the manchurch.com. You'll see the media button there. Uh, it'll drop down if you're looking at the website. If you're on your phone on the mobile option, you just want to reach over to the right and click on that. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's like a triangle that's not completed, but you can click on that and it'll say uh, either listen to the archives or you can watch the archives. They're there. You, and you can go back through many, many Bible studies that we have done. Over the years, I want to give you a couple of things that you need to know. Uh, If you're looking and watching right now, if not, I'll tell you what's behind me. You see the Man Church uh, conferences coming in 2024. Uh, We'll be in Birmingham on February 16th and 17th. The lineup there will be Robbie Gallaty. Uh, It'll be Rich Wingo. It'll be Andy Blanks. I will be speaking. Chuck Hooten will be doing worship, and we'll be introducing some new resources for 2024 on uh, March 8th and 9th, Startville, Mississippi. Uh, We will have Granger Smith will be with us, Uh, Scott Dawson, James Spann, Andy Blanks, and myself will be there too. Chuck Hooten will also be doing worship there. And we'll be introducing the 2024 resources. So if you are planning on coming to this conference or either one of these, or here we go into the biggest shopping weekend of the year, if you're looking for gift ideas, I've got a few today from themanchurch.com. One of them, tickets to the conference. Uh, both of these, uh, venues are about 70% sold, but there's still some prime seats available because some people go and say, I'm good with sitting in the balcony. I, I want the less expensive tickets. And so there's still some prime seats available, even though 70% of the capacity is already sold. Uh, another thing that you need to know, so go ahead and get them so you don't get shut out, but also there'll be a price increase on the remaining tickets on December the 16th. Uh, okay. So Make the move to get those final tickets, and we are so excited. If, if next year's conferences are honored by God anywhere near how he honored our debut conference this year, uh, we're in for an incredible weekend at both places. So excited about that. So that's an opportunity. Here's another one. Maybe you would like to give the gift of one of our individual resources. Uh, this is a, a new uh, 31-day devotional that we released this year called Transformed. Uh, it is uh, Embracing the Death of Self. Uh, and the power of God, uh, you can get these, but if you would like, this is a little something I'm letting everybody in on. That's not going to be launched to the public to the 29th of December, but if you will go to ironhillpress.com, ironhillpress.com. Okay. It's not on the Manchurch.com yet. It will be, but right now, ironhillpress.com. You can get a signed copy Uh, for the people on your gift list. Now, not only can you get a signed copy of Transformed, but Brian Gill from our writing team, we also have another resource coming out, uh, and it's a 31-day devotional, and it's all based on the I am statements that Jesus made. I am this and I am that. Uh, And it's a 31-day devotional. Brian did a tremendous job on that. You can get them both signed for gifts, or you can just get them uh, for gifts. But that'll launch on the 29th, but because you're in this Bible study or you're watching it and listening to the Bible study, I'm giving you the link now, ironhillpress.com, if you want signed copies, okay? So those are some things you need to know. Another opportunity is coming up on December the 1st. Uh, I'm honored to be asked to be part of the Daring Faith Conference in New York City with Promise Keepers, uh, and you can simulcast that to your church if you would like. Uh, Just go to themanchurch.com, look under Events. You'll see uh, December 1, you'll see Promise Keepers New York, that link, you can uh, connect with them about getting a simulcast, or you can get tickets to be with us in New York City coming up on December. The first, some people that I uh, will be there on some of the panels. I'm going to be on the one about pain and suffering. Stephen A. Smith is going to be giving his testimony. Curtis Martin, you know, the great NFL running back. He'll be there along with some other uh, other speakers and teachers. So that's coming up on December 1st. On December 2nd, we have a man church kickoff in Mobile, Alabama. Government Street Church and Brian Dawson from our team will be speaking there. And you can also find that at themanchurch.com under events. So there's there's some things for this time of year that you want to be thinking about. Let's open in a word of prayer, and let's jump into our continuation of 2 Corinthians today. Lord, help us to glean everything that you would have for us today uh, through your holy and powerful word. As we approach Thanksgiving, we, we just want to stop and say thank you. Uh, thank you just in our language. That's all we got, and, and it's so inadequate to properly Give thanks to you for the grace and mercy that you have made available to all of us. Uh, even though we were yet sinners, you you died for us to redeem us. And, and there's no way we can ever say thank you enough. But you've reminded us that saying thank you is one thing. Living out a thank you is much more valuable because it reveals the truth about where we really are. Help us today, Lord. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So. Let's pick up today. We're going to 2 Corinthians uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, uh, and we're going to try to get through to uh, verse 22, uh, 22, the 22nd verse today, uh, and finish uh, the first chapter of 2 Corinthians. Now, we talked about this letter has got some complications uh, because there's, there's some things going on that we're not quite clear about. We're going to get some clarity on some of it today. On, uh, on, on this letter. Now, you're going to hear me refer back to 1 Corinthians a lot, and we do have the archives of our study on 1 Corinthians, because th- remember what happened? Paul wrote that first letter that we have. Uh, he went there to see the, the, uh, them. Timothy had come back and reported to Paul, and Paul was like, man, I, I'm so mad. I'm going down there. So he goes down there. He sends them a blistering letter. Uh, and you're gonna there's gonna be some references to that and that is first Corinthians and you're gonna see Paul kind of almost thinking all right I don't know that I, there's a need for me to go back for this second visit I, I might need to let things cool off a little bit after what I've already said to them in my, and because of my first visit so you're gonna you're gonna get that today what you're gonna get is the first seven verses it was exaltation from Paul and we covered all that. What we're going to have right here, and it's going to continue a little bit into two, but we're not going to get there today. It's really what you're going to have from Paul now is an explanation. There's there's a problem, and he's he's trying to explain himself because this issue has caused that faction in the church at Corinth to really rise up and start making accusations against Paul. They think they got something. They're trying to use this changing of his plans to try to somehow go after his integrity and his character And he's going to defend himself, and he's going to be explaining what he's doing and why he is doing it. So if you'll start now, if we go through 8 through 14, these verses are him trying to explain the problem. It's going to be about his problem, and he's going to speak first to his problems, and then he's going to speak about his plan. So 8 through 14, the problem, and then 14 through 22, the plan. Okay, So let's start with the problem first. Um, his problems are are, are, are he's trying to show the critics that what they're saying about this change of plans, and we get some detail about what the change of plans are, but, but not great detail. But the bottom line is Paul had planned on doing something that he's now not going to do. He's changing his plans. So those that, that were against him say, well, I mean, you can't even trust what he says. I mean, he changes his mind. He didn't do what he said he's going to do. They're trying to accuse him of being fickle. Uh, And so Paul is going to stand up and say, I'm not being fickle. Uh, He he said, I I want to explain the situation. And he starts out right out of the gate, and he says, the reason why I'm having to change my my plans is because I found myself in a desperate situation. So so let's look at the first part uh, of 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. So he says, first of all, I, I, I want to explain to you, I'm not talking about that we had a mild issue. We came under incredible persecution and affliction when we were in Asia. And first of all, I, I want you to understand that the situation that I found myself in was completely overwhelming. It was, it was even more than, than I could bear. And he'll tell you what he means by that here uh, in in just a moment. So look what he says. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant to it. I want to explain the level of affliction that we experienced in Asia. And look at the next thing in in 8B. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. So it's one thing for me to say to you, I had a rough day yesterday. And you start to move on. I said, no, no, let me stop you. I don't want you to be ignorant. When I say I had a rough day, I thought I wasn't going to live through it. Now, are you going to turn around and come back and want to hear more at that point? What, wait a minute, what? No, no, this was more than traffic. Uh, I mean, I I, I I, experienced affliction of a level that I could not even handle the burden of it, and I thought I wasn't going to live to see another day. Do I have your attention at that point? And, and that's what Paul is trying to say. Now, Now, we know that he had written from Ephesus— uh, to, to the church at Corinth. It was a very sharp letter to the Corinthians. That's 1 Corinthians. And, and we think that was delivered likely by the hand of Titus. Uh, and he's, he's a little bit anxious about the response uh, of that letter because he realizes that he went there, he was angry about the state of the church. Timothy kept on telling him how bad it was, and that's why he went. Then he came back, and he fired off a letter to them. And, and he tells them in that letter, if you remember about Demetrius the silversmith. You remember this? He says, hey, we got problems with this guy. Uh, He has caused us serious problems. We know that he caused a serious riot. We know that. Turning people against Paul. And Paul uh, left that place because it got so overwhelming that he left and went to Macedonia. And if you'd like to go hear Paul talking about that particular riot in more details... Go to Acts 19, and we did this. We did the study of Acts. That's another archive you can find. Acts 19, verse 23 through uh, chapter 20, verse 1. So we we don't know if this was the specific event that he talked about because there were many, but that's one that we definitely know about because he, he told us about it. And so he left Ephesus, and it seems that when he left that this silversmith had some cronies that tracked him down and attacked him again, because he says the burden pressed me on every side. and And if you look at the original Greek that's being used here, the Greek words he's using uh, seem to indicate like it's 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 a phrase they use if you're being hunted down. I mean, it's come. They were pressing me on every side. I couldn't get away from them, and uh, so it's possible they they tracked him down and attacked him again. And we do know this, that Paul's health got so bad from all this that was going on that, uh, that, he, that he talked about the despair that he was in. And, and, and so let's look at now at the rest of 8 and then into the beginning of 9. Uh, I, I read this part when he said, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Look at 9a. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. We thought this was a death sentence. We we, we thought we weren't going to survive that. And um, he he said, I I was wondering whether this was going to be the end. And he's wanting the, the, the folks in Corinth to understand, I want you to realize the situation I was in, if God himself doesn't intervene, I'm not here right now. This required miraculous intervention by God himself to keep us from being killed. He wants somebody, look, I know y'all think I'm changing my plans, but y'all don't know what I've been through. Uh, and we have been through a lot, and, and a lot of it is one of the reasons he's going to tell them, you'll see this as we go further along, hey, da- travel for me has become dangerous. There's people hunting me, and, and if I travel, now me traveling is, is a little more precarious than it once was. And so he said it was so miraculous. Listen to this. Listen to what he's saying in his own words. Do you realize that Paul is likening this to being being resurrected from certain death. Look what he said. He said, said, we were so burdened and our strength was so gone, we despaired for life uh, uh, itself. Look at 9. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. And look at this. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I'm telling you, the situation we were in—it was a resurrection story. We, it, death was so certain that God, who raises people from the dead, was the only person, uh, the the only force that could help us. Now, I want you to think about this. You do realize and it's one of the things they're gonna—I get the opportunity to talk about in New York City at this uh, Daring Faith Conference, um, and. This is one of the reasons, this is one of the whys that we see in Scripture. When we start all this garbage of sometimes we don't know why, I, why would God allow why is God? Where is God? Well, one of the things that God says over and over again throughout many Scriptures, I allow refinement many times the, the tool that I use is suffering. Because Paul says what? God allowed this... So we would stop relying on our own gifts and on our own strengths, and we'd start relying on Him. Remember, Paul's going to talk about this again in chapter twelve. He's going to get real deep on this. We won't get into that now because we've got it coming up. But you, I want you to understand, and I, and if you can make this shift, and I've taught it over and over and over again in here for years. I ju- I just talked to an individual about it before the Bible study, who's in who's in a tough situation. I said this may sound insensitive, and I don't mean it to be don't waste it what you need to be doing i'm certainly praying for you i know it hurts i know it's terrible but what you need to do right now because you don't want to waste it start looking for what god's teaching because he's always teaching now this is the thing that a lot of people don't like but you're never going to you're never going to get around this truth unless you are trying to make god into something you want him to be Is there anybody that believes in the one and only living God that is watching this, listening to this, or in this room? Anybody that believes that God was not, he just could not keep Paul from experiencing this. He couldn't do it. No, he could have stopped it, so he had to have allowed it. You think that God couldn't keep these people from attacking Paul? You think God couldn't keep the people with Paul from being attacked by adversaries of the the faith? Of course he could have, but he didn't. So you, then you go, well, why didn't he? Well, Paul said, so so I'd quit relying on myself. He, he knows that, that I, I consider my gifts and I consider my strength to be so incredible. He's showing me that he can put me in a situation where I can't do it, and all that did was show me there's times I just need to realize he's the one I need because I can't do this. Remember, one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 10, you know, when people say, well, you know, God will never give me more than I can handle. Guys, that is not what that says. It says that you can't make an excuse and justify sin. There's no temptation that is so strong that you can excuse yourself by saying, well, I just couldn't control myself. No, the Holy Spirit is so strong we can never make an excuse for sin. But that does not mean that God never gives us anything more than we can handle. I I don't know what kind of life you've lived, but I've had many things that God has allowed me to experience that I could not handle. And the reason why I could not handle it is so I would learn that he could. Because if I can handle everything, why do I need God? I don't don't need him. I can can handle it myself. And my problem has always been I've never struggled with a lack of strength. What I have struggled with is a lack of weakness. And God has had to make me so weak that I would finally reach out for him. And, and, and that's what Paul's saying is happening here. He's not, he's not delusional to why it's happening. And he says, we were forced to leave our own strength, and we were in such a condition, he was our only source of delivery. So then he goes on to say that it was divine. Look, look at verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. He said, I I experienced God's protection and his hand. He delivered us from death. It was going to be a dreadful death, And he delivered me. And you know what? If he delivered me, he'll also deliver you. And because of this deliverance I just saw, I've realized that no matter how bad it was, I still find my hope in him. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Who does that sound like? Job. Even though he slayed me, I find my hope only in him. So, so paul's saying i've learned the lesson just like job did uh, and i'm being taught that and and then he goes on and he says i like how he says because this is the thing that we all can experience and paul's letting the church at corinth know this i know y'all been through difficulty but i'm going to tell you something god's allowed me to go through difficulty so when you come to me and try to make the accusation that i, I don't understand no i do understand He's delivered me from incredible peril. Therefore, I can assure you that He'll deliver you from it. Right? He's, he's given me more tools to help other people. Don't waste your difficulty on your own condition, and don't waste it to be able to use to help other people. And, and so, and then He goes and He says, Now, here's something I, sh- I-, I need from you. The next thing He talks about in verse 11, He says, Help us, pray for us. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on behalf for the blessing granted uh, granted us through the prayers of many. You know what he's saying? Let me tell you what y'all can do about the enemies that are after me. Pray for me. And then he says, I don't want you to pray for me one time. I want you to keep on praying for me. D- do, you, do you remember that? You know, that's the beauty of all of us being part of this church this church universal, you do realize you have access to prayer warriors. And and I I can't tell you how many times that I've sent out to the prayer warriors, we need you to pray and we need to continue to pray and to watch God move. Because there's some people out there, I'm telling you, that are so entrenched in God, when they pray, he moves. Because he knows their devotion to him, not because they're telling him what to do. Because we don't tell him what to do because we are always supposed to pray that his will be done. However, there's some people that God hears quite clearly because they're so in an intimate relationship with him. They're the real deal. And if you got those people, don't waste them. And Paul knew he had those people. You know what? He had a lot of opposition in Corinth, but you know what else he had? Solid people that were solid, and he knew it. And he was calling on that strength. So then he gets into 12 and 14, he's going to make a definite statement here. And this is where he's going to start talking about the sincerity as the first of all displayed displayed in his life. Listen what he says. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. See, he's about to talk about changing his plans, and he knows he's getting beat up about the changing of his plan. And so the one thing that he says, one of the things I want you to be reminded of when people start trashing me, I want you to be reminded of one thing, and I wonder if we can say the same thing. This, this is one of the convicting parts of the preparation of this study was for me personally. may not be for you, but I'm going to throw it out there. I hope that we all can say that we live a life, not the things we say, that the actions of the way we live in the world, which Paul specifically talks about, I hope the way you see me living in this fallen creation as a follower of Jesus, I think my life has integrity. So let me ask you this, because this is where he's going. If someone made an accusation against us, is our integrity so supreme in Jesus that the people wouldn't believe it? Amen. Would they say that don't sound like Paul, or would they say mm, I could see that? Do people doubt us because the way we live our life looks inconsistent? Do you hear what Burgess did? No way. I want. I'm going to go talk to him. I'm going to hear if he may have done it. But let me tell you something. That don't sound like him. Or do people go, nah, that doesn't surprise me at all. He he, he says a lot and the 10 stuff, and I see him raising his hands, but I see how he lives in the world. I bet he was susceptible to that. I, you're right, he is kind of flighty. That's what Paul's saying. He was saying, I hope the way that I've lived my life will cause you to have zero reason to doubt my integrity. You know why? Paul had lived in Corinth with these people for a year and a half. And so he's saying, now I was with you and you watched me live this out for a year and a half amongst you. And all those who oppose me in the church are claiming that I can't be trusted, that you know, that my yes isn't my yes, that I that I'm flighty, that I'm fickle, uh, that I'm cowardice. Now, let me ask y'all this. When you were with me for that year and a half, is that what you saw in me? I'm going to ask all of us a a tough question. Would you be afraid to put your life on the line like that, your integrity? Or would most of us say, no, I want my integrity to be judged by what I say, not by what I do, because I know how to say the right thing. But, boy, if everybody was making an accusation against me, the way I live might open me up for some speculation. Well, Paul is confident that he has not. You know what he said? I was an open book. Y'all saw me live. I didn't hide anything from you. You knew who I was. I was real. I didn't compromise the truth. Sometimes I said some things y'all might not have liked, but the way I lived my life was a life of integrity. And that's exactly what he's saying. Here's what he wants, and this is where we should all be, in the room, watching or listening, and teaching. Okay, Here's where we need to be. We need to live our lives with such integrity of our claim of faith in Christ and our claim to be a follower of Christ and to adhere to the standards of God, we need to do that in such a way that if anyone makes an accusation against us, they look foolish. Amen. People are saying, oh my goodness, we, I didn't know you were going to go there and try to, try to go after him. That's a man of integrity. I, I got to tell you, now I think bad of you. They never think bad of us. The first thing they think is they think bad of the accuser. And that's what's going to happen when, I mean, can you imagine being someone trying to run Paul down? How stupid you would look. So anyway, he says, uh, so if, if anybody suggests that I'm fickle or anybody suggests that I'm cowardice, I have lived my life not depending on worldly wisdom but a much higher principle, and, I, and, and I, he says, You have had many opportunities to see firsthand my character, my integrity, and my sincerity, and I don't believe it can be questioned. I think those that come against me look foolish right now because of the way I've lived my life and you've seen the power of God in me. I don't live by the wisdom of the world. I live by the wisdom and the commands of a much higher source, God himself. Amen. And then he goes down and says, and I'd also like to bring you to the sincerity of my letters. Look, 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 look at 13 through 14. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and acknowledge, and I hope you will fully acknowledge, just as uh, you did partially acknowledge us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. So the next thing he says, you've seen how I live my life. Now let's talk about the letters. I mean, I wrote you these letters, and a lot of y'all agreed with me. Uh, you didn't, you, 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 at least partially. Some of you were, were were defending me, and now are you not defending me now? Uh, you acknowledged that the things I wrote to you were accurate. My letters, um, you know, s- stated things quite clearly. Uh, can anyone dispute that what I wrote was honest, was true? You know what he says. Apparently, a lot of them already had acknowledged that. He's reminding them of that. You acknowledged. You may not have liked what I wrote, in 1 Corinthians, but you can't deny what I wrote was true. This man did have an incestuous relationship going on in the church. That is true. Some people got mad about me pointing it out, but it was true. And it was true that he should have been removed from the church. That was true. You may not have liked it, but it was true. And you acknowledged it was true. So he's also using that. He said, so I I, I would like to make the point that, that I said what I meant, and I meant what I said. Some of you have openly acknowledged that you yourselves agree. I never had double talk. I never had hidden meanings. I never skirted an issue. I never sidestepped anything. And here's what he said. I'm so, I'm so convinced that I was speaking from God himself when I wrote you those letters. I'm so convinced of it. Go ahead right now and acknowledge that what I said was true because I look forward to the day, that in the day of the Lord, when Jesus Christ will once and for all confirm that I was speaking for him. I want you to rejoice in that day. I don't want you to feel foolish because you went after, my, you went after me. I was speaking on behalf of God. You know that I was. I'm telling you that I was. And the day is coming when no one can dispute that. You want to be on the right side of that. So can we say that about ourselves? Is is that the kind of men and and women who may be watching and listening to this that we are? That people say, if you go after them, you're going after God because they are with God and they do live out the life they've been called to. And, of course, the power you see to do that is from God himself. So now he's going to say, so let's get into it. He's ready now. Let's, let's go ahead. Uh, let's get into me changing my plans. Let's talk about it. Okay? So now he will do that. He says, my plans have been changed. He, he acknowledges that. He said, because I was sure of this, this is verse 15, I, I want to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. Yes, I was sure. I did want to come see you, and then I did want to come back and see you to give you another visit he said, that was my original plan. So let's go, let's go talking about the, the outward complications, and that's going to go all the way through verse 24 uh, to wrap it up today. Uh, but his original plans are going to be reviewed in, in verse 15 and 16. So let's finish in 16. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and, and, and have you send me on my way to Judea. That's what I wanted to do. That was my original plan. I acknowledge that. And he's saying, you know, that my original plan was that I was going to stay at Ephesus, which is where he is now, and I'm gonna stay here until Pentecost. Then I'm gonna to go to Macedonia uh, for summer and fall, and then I'm gonna to come to Corinth, and I'm gonna stay for the winter. And I, this is what I'd communicated to you, okay? And that's in First Corinthians 16, five through nine. If you want to go back and look at that, you know, I, 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 that's what I that's what I wanted to do. But, but I thought of a better plan, and that's to come to Corinth twice. Remember, I, I changed the plan, and, and I was going to come see you on the way to Macedonia, and then on the way back from Macedonia, and this plan seemed to be abandoned as well. And Paul's almost going to a third plan now, because he saw the crisis there was too important. Now, we're going back to his original visit, and, and he didn't want to put it on the back burner. So he changed plan one and went ahead and went, and and this this visit there, because he, he'd heard from Timothy what was going on there, we think it was Timothy that told him, that visit was a very unpleasant visit. So that kind of changed the idea that I'm going to come back again. Okay, That first visit, he had to take on the sin, point things out, then he followed with the letter. So that went very unpleasant to the people there that were against him. And then he says that I, I decided... To, um, to kind of um, not do the second visit because I don't think that's wise But go because looking back on the issues that, that happened in Asia, that played a role because now travel is dangerous, and I told you that's one of the reasons. But I'm going to tell you another reason of it is I think if I came back too soon now, y'all would think I'm throwing my weight around. I think everybody needs a minute to deal with what we talked about when I came first time and the letter that I wrote after. I think it's wise for me to give a pause right now. That doesn't mean I lack integrity. doesn't mean I'm cowardice. I just think it's wise. It's become dangerous to travel. What I went through, the afflictions out there are much worse than I thought they would be. And just wisdom, I don't want you to take me the wrong way if I come back too soon because I think some of this needs to settle. People need to kind of get it out of their system what they're mad about. I'll deal with that here in this letter, and then maybe I'll come back. So that, that's really what he's saying. He's, he, he now goes in 17 says, I'm going to defend revising my plan. Now this is where he's going to kind of get upset about the accusations against him. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Are y'all saying I'm vacillating because I'm changing the plans? And then he comes back and, and, and he follows up and he says, do, do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? He said, don't think I'm changing my plans because there's some flesh indecisiveness on my part, that I don't keep my word. I say one thing, then I change it. I'm saying yes and no at the same time. Uh, he said, so I don't want you to look at this as vacillating. I don't want you to look at it that I can't make up my mind. And then he gets into 18. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. He said, and that's not even how I operate. He said, do you really think I say one thing and mean another? I don't talk out of both sides of my mouth. Yes, yes, no, no. Are you suggesting that I act from the flesh, that I'm not a man of my word? He said this. He's basically saying, look, this is outrageous and it's hurtful. Only God can accuse me. That's what he's saying. If I change the plan, it came from God, not from me. So, And he said, and I resent the accusation otherwise. He says, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. It's not even a yes and no to me. It's did God tell me this or didn't he? I'm not going to hold on to something you took as a yes if God has told me to change it. You do realize that. Remember how many times you go, you remember when we went through Acts? Do you remember Acts? Do you remember when they were begging Paul, begging him not to go back to Jerusalem? They're begging because they know he may not return. This they know, but trouble waiting on you. And they even started coming to him and saying, "Look, we believe in prayer. You should not go." You know what Paul said? That ain't what God's telling me. I'm going. And they're all giving him every reason he shouldn't go, and all of them were legitimate. But he said, "But if God tells me to do something or to change something, I'm going to." Let me ask y'all this: My hands up i got some decisions I'm making right now that I'm really praying, and it's going to be real hard to go back and say, I changed my mind, but I'm trying to find out if God's telling me to change it. And if he's telling me to change it, I'm going to. Now, somebody may say, well, my goodness, you were all about this. But if I can come back and say, but God told me that when I was all about it, that wasn't of him, that was of me. So sometimes we do have to change our plans and what we need to understand, are we willing to be obedient to God even if it makes us look bad to people? Wow, you, you told us, this, you know, how are you changing this plan? Because God told me to change it. Now, if God's not telling us to change it and we're changing it just because we are flighty, or we, or we do vacillate, or we don't do a real good job of letting our yes be yes and our no be no, that's different. But what he's saying is, this particular situation isn't Paul said something, so he has to stick to it. No, I don't if God changes it. Because I got to answer to God. And what Paul's admitting, think about this. Sometimes I'm like any other man. I make plans and I didn't check with God on. And God's come back and shown me this is not this is not a wise plan. So I'm going to go back and get it right because I want to be right with him. But don't suggest that's an attack on my integrity. Because you I should have integrity that if I say that the plan needs to be changed, that you know that I got that from God. And you go, well, if that's what God told you, that's what you need to do. And and I hope we have those kind of friends. Uh, so then he goes on in, in 19, he says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. You see what he's saying? I don't hear from Jesus and not and and, and and it be and it be some kind of answer I'm not sure about. If Jesus says to do it, it's always yes. Whatever Jesus tells me to do, it's a yes. I don't I don't hear from Jesus to go, maybe, maybe I will, maybe I won't. He goes, You don't remember Timothy telling you about this? You don't remember Sabanus telling you about that? All of us have told you the same thing. We do what Jesus says to do. And Jesus has told me to change this plan, so I'm changing it. With him, it's always yes. I mean, some of you out there, guys, listen to me. Some of some of you young guys, that may, somebody's may, had you listen to this, or maybe, man, you're solid and you're seeking the truth. Maybe you're in this room. I'm going to tell you one of the great examples of this. I'm all in love with this woman, and Jesus says no, and you, and you this is not who you need to be with, and you go, I'm sorry, I'm not listening to that. I'm so enamored with her, or ladies, I'm so enamored with him, that even though Jesus is saying, do not be with this person, I, I'm not going to listen to him. Take a job that you know you're not supposed to take. Ah, this, I'm sorry. This job is, it's, I, I, I don't know why I can't get a piece about it because Jesus tells you don't take it. And you go, but you know what? I'm not listening to Jesus this time. I'm going to do what I want to do. Paul says the three of us that have been teaching you and discipling you, that ain't who we are. With Jesus, it's always yes. I love that statement. Jesus, it's always yes. It's never a yes or no. It's a yes. The only way it would be a no is if Jesus says no. Then I'll take that no. And that's still a yes to Jesus. And that's what he is trying to, he said, only the Son of God can can, can accuse me. And then he gets to 9 10, he says, and also, I want you to know, I have one independent witness. And this this decision has been sustained by the only judge that that can make an objection, and that is Jesus. The Father can accuse me, and Jesus has sustained me. So I'm listening to the Father, and I'm listening to the Son, and if that bothers you, it'll just have to. But don't question my integrity. I love that. Can we be that way? Jesus isn't a yes or no. He's always yes. And all those that have been with me have preached the same Jesus. Jesus is always the same, therefore we are as well as his followers. Now let's let's land on that. Jesus is always the same, that means we should be too. Is that true about us? I mean, people go, well, I mean, he's a follower of Jesus sometimes, but not always. Well, that's not being like Jesus. Jesus never compromised the Father. Never. I'm here to do the will of my Father, and so y'all should follow my example and you be the same way. Well, not today, though. I don't really like what God would rather me do today, so today, no. Maybe Thursday, yes. Yes friday we'll see no he said Now, if you're jesus it's jesus every single day all whatever jesus would do that's what you do now i will say this and this was the biggest thing against me the reason why many times i didn't obey what jesus not an excuse scripture says that one of the reasons that i got off to a rocky start on what to do as a follower of jesus is i had no idea what jesus told me to do i didn't know the word of god i didn't know what he'd said now, now, that's still not an excuse because it was available to me, and I wanted to correct that, and I'm continuing to correct that. I want to know, when Jesus told me to teach people all he's commanded, I can't do that if I don't know what that is. Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commands. Well, that's going to be hard to do if I don't know what the commands are. Right? And if I love him, I'm willing to know and to follow. So that's what he is saying about himself and also about Timmy, uh, Timothy and uh, He might have called him Timmy, I don't know. All right, verse 20. I bet Timothy would prefer he didn't. Uh, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Jesus has been given God's trust. All God's will is fulfilled in him. So I love what he's saying right here. If you want to check my references... You can certainly check people who know me. But at the end of it all when you look on my resume one of the references you will find will be Jesus himself. Can you imagine being able to say that about somebody? Hey, we're we're thinking about maybe uh bringing you onto our team. Can can you give us a reference? Jesus. I'm I mean I mean that's that's pretty strong, right? It's uh and and so uh Paul says, I'm not, I, I look to Jesus. That's one of my references. I mean, you you can see him saying that. He's not apologizing for that. I mean, he's saying for all the promises of God, find their yes in him, talking about Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Well, you know, what does amen mean? That's true what you just said. Let it be. Let it be so. He said, I can say that because I know that everything that Jesus says is right, and, and the amen comes from us, and our amen is in him because he does everything right. And he says, so that's one reference I would, I would give to you. And then he goes on. He says, all right, just let's look at some more. And he goes 21 and 22. And he says, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Think about what he's saying. I look at my references, God the Father, God the Son, and oh, by the way, another reference you'll find on my resume is the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is on my resume. Can can we say that? Paul's just a man, y'all know that, right? He's an impressive man. But he's just a man. As a matter of fact, he, he talks about all the time that his own brilliance was a stumbling block for him to begin with because he didn't buy that Jesus was Messiah and went out all in with zeal that could not be matched to destroy the followers of Jesus, only to discover that he was passionately wrong. But he said, when I got corrected, and, I, and, and as Ananias told me, I'm continuing to suffer many things on behalf of the advancement of Jesus and His Church, but to live as Christ, to die is gain. And I, when He, when He, when He encountered me on the road, and He loved to talk of His conversion. We talked about it last week. I was so transformed and so changed, and I'm so enamored with the very Messiah that I once persecuted, and the Church that I once wanted to destroy. I'm now so in love with it. And he, I'm so in love with it, I won't even tolerate a lack of impurity in the church. The very church that I was persecuting. But I've been so changed by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they now are references on my resume. My goodness. Why do we settle for such mediocrity in our spiritual faith? Do we? Even, do you even desire to have the Trinity on your resume? Or you just not want to go to hell? That's, that's two different fates. Not going to hell is just a bonus. Don't let that be the only reason why you love him. I love him because of the life he gives me right now. And, and and to have that source when that life I'm living right now gets really, really hard. Like you said, I, I have a supernatural peace because I keep hearing him, I've overcome the world, I've overcome the world. Remember, I told you to have joy in your heart, have peace in your heart. This is a terrible situation right now. I've overcome the world. You, you dropped off your daddy at memory care. I've overcome this. He won't always be like this. I'm going to redeem this. All, all the things that you've been through, all the things that happened in a fallen creation, all the things I've allowed to happen to you for your good, it won't always be like this. I've overcome this. Keep doing my work. Keep going. Press on, strain, not for redemption, but to hear well done. Because you can't earn my redemption. I, I, I had to handle that for you. You repent, you turn to me, leave authority in yourself and put your authority in me, and I will transform you into something that no matter what you face, I'm on your resume. Whew. He said, I have been anointed by the very Spirit of God. And you know what he's saying? For you to come after me and to attack me is to attack God's appointment of me. He's not trying to be arrogant. He's saying, I am one of God's messengers. And you're refuting God himself. Can people say that about us? Can people look at us and go, I don't know. I see so much sin in Rick's life and so much inconsistency in his life. I don't feel like I'm refuting God when I refute him. I feel like I'm refuting a guy that's terribly inconsistent in his faith. I'm refuting a guy that I don't see God's power in at all. Matter of fact, he's he's such a bad representation of God, he probably either turns people away from God or doesn't give anybody any desire for him. Because when they look at his pitiful life and the way he's inconsistent, the way he struggles with the same things I struggle, and when he crumbles like a paper cup the same way I do when things are difficult, he didn't have anything I don't have. I'm not interested in seeing him as a messenger of God. I don't think he is, so I'll refute him and, and never think twice about it. But see, Paul said, now be careful with that when you start refuting me. And he can say it. And so can we, if we're willing to have that kind of relationship as well. So then... Paul's going to repeat his oath, and he's going to say, look, I'm not trying to deceive you. I love this 23-24, then we'll wrap up, and and, uh, we can go give, hopefully, God the thanks that he deserves. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. See, he explains it now. Look, I didn't need to come back. I thought I wanted to come back. God corrected me and said, look, you've done enough over there. Let that settle what I sent you to say. You went in there wide open, and you calling them out, calling them to repentance, and nothing wrong with that. But it's dangerous there for you right now. You come back a second time, you're going to come across as being sanctimonious, self-righteous, and throwing your apostle weight around. That's not wise. That's not the most effective thing right now. You went, you wrote, pull back. And he says that. What do he say? But I call God to witness against me. You know what he's saying? God corrected me. I didn't need to come back when I said I was coming back. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Now look at 24. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you, for, for, for you stand firm in your faith. I love this. Now this we can all learn a lot if you're in leadership in the church. And even leadership in any way you can learn a, ro- a lot right now. Paul is saying, "The Lord did not send me to you to dominate over you. He did not send me to you to be oppressive. He did not send me to you to be a dread. He sent me to you honestly, to encourage you, and sometimes encouraging someone in their faith is what? Correcting them. But Paul said, I don't want you to think that my correction wasn't out of a place of love. I don't ever want you to think that I came to correct you just so I could be right or come to correct you so I could talk about how bad you are and how good I am. I came to correct you because I feared that the church was headed down a road and I had great respect for the purity of God and his church, and I came to tell you this guy's bad news, and I even told you that if we turned him over to his sin and kicked him out of the church, that it might save his life. I'm here to get everybody right with God, not to be domineering, sanctimonious, self-righteous, and Lord over you. That's not what I'm doing. And if you saw it that way, I want to correct that. Do you make sure you communicate that to people if you're someone in leadership? It's important. It doesn't mean that you don't rebuke. It, does, it doesn't mean that, that uh, you never correct. It doesn't mean that. It's be sure everybody knows why you're doing it. Not to elevate yourself, but to help them and for trouble that they might avoid and, and to glorify God. And he says that. He said, I'm trying to encourage your faith, which he says, at times that's going to include correction. At times. I'm not throwing my weight around. I'm pointing you to the truth, and I'm pointing you to the proper authority of where this all comes from, and it's not me. Remember how many times you heard me talk about this, and we need to do a better job of this. I need to do a better job of this. When we're standing against something in the world, we need to always be sure that we're communicating, I'm not doing this to elevate myself. I'm not doing this even because I'm against you I'm doing this because I'm standing on the purity and the authority of God. I want you to know this is what God said, and here's where we're in error. And acknowledging the times that we've been in error. But just because someone who's correcting you has been in error themselves, that doesn't change the truth as long as they're pointing to God. If God says something is sin, you go, well, one time you did that sin. Well, yeah, that doesn't change what he said about it. Now, you're right. I don't need to be a hypocrite 100%, and he'll deal with me on that. That's the way I once was, but you ever have those people? Boy, I've got them. They do not want God to transform me because they're going to remind me of who I was before Jesus. And they're not doing that for any other reason than to try to get themselves off the hook because they, they always try to discredit the messenger so they don't have to deal with the sin in their own life. What we got to be smart about is to not be a messenger that is easily refuted because of our inconsistency. Now, when somebody's bringing up something from the '80s, I mean, I just have to say, look, I mean, if you're going to bring up the '80s, I mean, I mean, I I, I can't even. They, the '80s was what it was. I've been redeemed of that, and and Scripture tells me it's as far as the east is from the west. And Isaiah says that, that that sin turned into a mist that vanished and disappeared. Now, if you want to talk to me about something inconsistent I did two weeks ago, then yeah, we need to talk about that. But you got to you got to come off the '80s because that, that's old Rick. That that that's that's before Jesus. And and God's reminding me now that I need to tell y'all it went on into the '90s too. But uh, but uh, so. Uh, so, so it, it all turned around for me in 1996. Okay, so it, it, I got six years into the 90s as well. That wasn't very pretty. Uh, and, and from 96 to today, what? Sanctification. There, there's things that, that, that I've corrected in my life in the last month because of sanctification. You know, and some of it may just be the, my, my attitude or my motivation or you know, things. I will tell you one of the biggest struggles that I have ongoing is any time you're put in a position of teaching, It benefits me incredibly. It's one of the things, though, is to never, ever start thinking that somehow God is enamored with how well I'm going to teach. Well, I tell you, I don't know what I'd do without Rick. And, hey, look at the time I put in teaching Bible study. Not everybody does that. And you start elevating yourself a little bit, and God's like reminding me, do you recall what I redeemed you of? You think I need you. You need me. I don't need you. And the only thing good about me is Jesus. Period. And that's really what Paul's saying. Uh, that, that look to my resume and see who, who endorses me. And and that's the only thing good about any of us that are redeemed. And we and sometimes we have to be reminded of that. So let's let's take away from, from this week. Could we take what Paul just did? People are accusing us, people are attacking our character, they're attacking our integrity, they're attacking our sincerity. Could we do what Paul just did and say, I'd like to remind you of these things and why the time we would be done with the way we actually lived our lives, that the people who accused us would look foolish or would it be impossible for us to defend ourselves like Paul just did? Well, the only reason why Paul could defend himself is the power that's available to every one of us. And that's the power of complete Transformation provided only by the one and only living God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of His Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for You, and uh, we are so thankful that You would allow us to even live another day. You would be in Your right to kill every one of us. And uh, the, the, the grace and the mercy that You've allowed us. As I've said many times, when people have tried to get me to question You because of difficulty, And I can sadly say, you know, God's judgment and wrath is not what surprises me. It's your grace and your mercy. It's that you have not allowed me to experience worse things. And the fact that you would redeem me when I was unredeemable. Thank you, Lord. And may, as the Apostle Paul also taught us, may the grace and the mercy you've shown me, Lord, may you never see my life and see that your grace and mercy was in vain. Thank you, Lord, for access to the power of complete transformation available to all who repent and leave faith in themselves and place themselves in your authority. Lord, I thank you for redemption. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. Happy Thanksgiving.